Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the weekly podcast that explores the nooks and crannies of living in a body. Sometimes it's the two of us having a casual conversation through the filter of that day's topic, and other times we have special guests who add their voices to the chat. We are yoga educators and body workers with decades of experience as practitioners and teachers. It is with reverence and joy that we choose to take these conversations off the mat and into the microphone. Our aim is to understand the human experience through the stories our bodies hold and the stories they tell. Since having a body is the one thing we all have in common, it seems like a good place to start. We are your hosts. I am Teresa Tobin Macy. And I'm Sherry Sadoff Hank. Join us on this journey of discovery as we sleuth our way to the connections of our individual tales to the collective experience of being alive. Hello, unseen listeners of Anecdotal Anatomy. Welcome back. Thank you. Yes, we are so happy that you are taking this journey with us. So we're glad you're here. Welcome back. Today, we're, we're going to move. We have a trajectory. We have a path that we're moving down. And where we are today is, you know, we talk a lot about spirituality and we talk a lot about practices and we offer these things. And I just want you to know from the get-go that these practices are not predicated on any particular religion or spiritual realm that you are exploring. They're available to everyone. You know, I've gone through being atheist, agnostic, which is probably where I mostly live, to being practicing in my yoga traditions, growing up Jewish, doing the traditional ritual stuff. And I used to call myself a Krista Hindu Buddha Jew, you know, <laughs> like all paths to the same place. So there's really no requirement for doing these practices. And even if you find yourself, you know, wandering through a spiritual desert, asking the big existential questions, you know, these are things we do as we move through our lives that we just are here to have the conversations, you know, offer practices that will maybe, you know, because there's so many, you'll pick and choose and create the menu of practices, the poo-poo platter of practices that will serve you in your life. And so today we're going to, we're going to just play. It's going to be a very practice heavy session, episode, session, episode. What are we doing here? I'm having an identity crisis. So I just want to start, let's, let's begin this episode with practices. And we're going to move from a physical awareness breath practice into a guided meditation. And after the guided meditation, I will gently bring you out. And then Teresa will come in with, with her magic, with the alchemy <laughs> that happens when Teresa Tobin Macy is in the house. <laughs> so take your seat. Just take a seat wherever you are. And if, if you're in a place where you feel like, oh man, I just, just want to lie down. Lie down. Find a mat or a couch or a floor or a bed, a cushion, a chair, and find your, your place. And as you find that space, it's going to be different. If you're lying on the floor, the experience is going to be much more subtle, but it's still there to access. And as you connect your breath, this breathing thing that is both autonomic and something we can direct. It happens whether we try to breathe or not. You know, if we're alive, we're breathing. The beautiful thing about the breath is that we can also direct it. The autonomic nervous system allows us to, to breathe and our consciousness and our intentions allow us to use the breath to access either the sympathetic or the parasympathetic nervous system the one that is activated, and the one that is calm. So without deliberately changing anything at this point, where are you? Is your breath shallow and short, or is it long and languorous? Is that the word? Deep and relaxing. And now begin to exaggerate. Exaggerate at the top of the breath and exaggerate at the bottom of the breath. So as you inhale, take that deep breath. And when you get to the top, take in a little bit more and notice what happens at the front body. Notice an expansion and opening. It can be really subtle, especially if you're on the floor. And as you exhale, 
empty everything out. And when you can't empty any more out, empty a little bit more, drawing the navel closer to the spine and notice what that does to your physical body. So if I say front body, it's necessarily going to also affect the back body. If the front body is open as you inhale, going again to the top of that breath, feeling that openness, you go a little bit more, sip it like you're sipping through a straw at the top of the breath. And as you exhale, slowly, like a balloon, losing all the air as you squeeze it out, drawing the navel toward the spine, notice what happens as the front body becomes a little more concave and the back body becomes a little more convex. Do one more breath like that, just for that feeling of the opening, the swelling, and then that contraction. If you were actually seeing this, or if you're feeling it in any discernible way, maybe it feels like the breath is a wave in the body. Moving in and moving out. And as I move into this meditation, I want you to know that this was inspired by a teacher named Todd Tesson, who I've only ever seen or met virtually once in an embodied summer writing class by Susanna Harwood Rubin, who was one of our first guests. She was the fifth guest of our first season. And he talked about, this is inspired by a breath meditation that was led by Todd where he very simply, he didn't simply, but I'm going to simply interpret what he said. And if I misinterpret or misremember in any way, my apologies. But he began to elaborate on this idea that the inhale is like the ebbing of ocean water away from the shoreline, gathering itself to create a wave. And that the exhale was something of a surrender of that wave to the shore. So as you're breathing in and out with this exaggeration, can you find that rhythm, the rhythm that might feel like a wave? Place your awareness now on your breath. Now your awareness includes the rise and fall of your belly and any movement in your chest or elsewhere in your body. So now we've released the exaggerated breathing and we're just naturally breathing and noticing also the physicality of that breath. Notice the rise and fall of your belly, any movement in your chest or elsewhere in the body. Are you fidgeting? Are you feeling still? Or do you feel like you're somewhere in that space before stillness, moving into a relative stillness? It's always going to be relative because the breath will always bring movement. The circulatory system will always have flow in the body. But notice the relative stillness in your body. Sit for a moment with the simple awareness that you are breathing. And if you tend to breathe through your mouth, see if you can use this time to practice breathing through your nose. Breathe in. Breathe out, breathe in, and breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. And as you continue to breathe in and out, imagine you are floating on a raft in the ocean. In this ocean, on this raft, at this time, you are perfectly safe from harm. Allowing the lolling rapids to ease you into a sense of awakened surrender. Notice the effect that has on the breath. You are perfectly relaxed, knowing you are held by the natural forces, those forces seen and unseen that are there to protect you. Breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in and breathing out. With your peripheral awareness, gently touching everything but your breath, 
begin to bring your breathing into focus, where your attention can land fully on its ebbs and flows. Where is the wave created? Where does it crest? And how does it forcefully crash on the shore of your mind? How forcefully does it crash on the shore of your mind? Without deliberately changing anything, simply notice. Don't worry if your mind wanders or if your thoughts begin to vie for attention. Notice that too, but see if you can maintain your breath as the central concept for this meditation. When you wander, simply come back as many times as it takes. But don't let yourself get caught on the hook of wander. As you lie on your raft, slowly rising and falling with the ever-moving ocean water, begin to notice which part of your breath cycle, the inhalation or the exhalation, resonates more fully with where you are in this moment. Are you energized by the intake of oxygen? Are you tranquil in the act of surrendering carbon dioxide back into the atmosphere? Do you linger in any particular part of the cycle? Does the first cool taste of air match the warmth of it traveling into your lungs and back up and out? What is the experience of your breath as it moves in and out of your body? Is your exhalation longer than your inhalation? How long is your natural pause at the top and bottom of each breath? Breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in and breathing out. Does your breath feel like a wave? Perhaps it resonates with a wind-driven surface wave created by the friction between wind and surface water, the continual disturbance creating a wave crest in open ocean and on the coast. This is the most common wave. How does this feel as a metaphor? Surface disturbances manifesting in a wave, surface thoughts jumping from thought to thought, branch to branch. Perhaps your breath feels more like a tsunami or a tidal wave, a series of long, extremely long waves caused by a large and sudden displacement of the ocean, usually from earthquake below or near the ocean floor, a volcanic eruption or landslide. While the two are often used interchangeably, a tidal wave is also caused by the interactions of sun, moon, and earth on the oceans, the tides. Does your breath reflect a larger system to explore? Ocean swells are waves that usually have smooth tops that have moved beyond the area where they were originally generated. Perhaps your breath holds a recent or long-ago memory which is impacting its depth, its texture, its flavor. As you lie on your raft, breathing into your experience, bobbing gently up and down on the moving water, allow your focused attention on your breath to melt into your peripheral awareness and let go of any effort. Allow the infinite expanse of the ocean to begin to get smaller and smaller until the light in your peripheral awareness is just on you and your raft. Slowly begin to allow the metaphor of the ocean and the waves, the experience of lying on the raft, all of that fabrication and concept to melt away into your own present awareness, the awareness of your seat, of the solidity of the earth beneath you, whether you're lying down or seated, 
and allowing yourself to come back to your breath in this moment, in this iteration of where you are. And you can begin to bring small movement into the body. And in your time, very slowly and gently, open your eyes and come back. Can you bring the mind and keep it drawn inward? Cherry brought us into this beautiful internal space. Can you allow yourself to indulge the inner self without distractions? Letting the mind and movement and thought find ease. Can you take this opportunity to surrender? To step into this sense of being at peace with the mere stillness and tranquility of relaxation. Feeling all the parts of the physical body that are resting And they can be resting anywhere. If you are seated, feel the parts of the body in the seat, in the places that it touches some hard surface. If you are on your mat, can you embrace pure and utter relaxation? To let the mind and the thoughts, the emotions, lead you deeper into yourself. Can you connect and stay connected to the breath, allowing it to flow in and out, noticing all the movements of the inhale and all the movements of an exhale. And the breath flows in and the breath flows out as we rest in a state of non-doing. And from this place, can you deepen your non-doing by allowing your attention to move beyond the movements of the inhale? Begin to notice the pause that happens after the inhale. And then, of course, there's a gentle releasing exhale. And at the bottom of the exhale, can you find the pause, the place of pure stillness in the body, allowing the breath to flow in, finding the pause, allowing the breath to flow out, and feeling that pause. not in an effort to retain or hold your breath in any way, but simply to practice concentration, dharana. And the concentration is on pure stillness, the ability to embrace non-doing. There's no need to change it. There's no need to try and hold the breath in any way, but rather allow the breath to flow in. Feel what a pause in the entire body, mind, and spirit feels like. And the breath flows out.
and embrace the pause again. And one or two more breaths on your own, looking for and connecting with your ability to embrace stillness and tranquility. Noticing that in this movement that we have in our body every day, all day, it's two parts active, inhale and exhale, and two parts passive, pause and non-doing, the body's natural intelligence knows that it's as important to do as it is to not do. So taking our cue from the natural process of the body, this life force, this prana or chi or any other word that you have, and its innate wisdom to find the balance between doing and not doing. And when you're ready, maybe you can deepen the breath just a little bit, deepen that inhale, knowing that we wanna make a transition. So let the breath flow in, coming back to the beginning of Sherry's meditation feeling the entire body fill with oxygen and breath. Noticing its movements. And then lingering on a nice long exhale. One more time. Allow the breath to begin to open the body and bring in a sense of awareness of the space that's surrounding you. Allowing the exhale to release and let go, surrender. And with that next inhale, wiggle your fingers, wiggle your toes, rock your head from side to side for any other natural movements that the body is requesting after the time and practice. And wherever you are and whatever you're doing, see if you can come back to more awareness. Staying connected to the breath is a practice of having it always in our awareness, even when it drifts off into the background. And welcome to Coming back. And so we return. You know, did anything about this experience so far feel like religion? Did it feel like spirituality? I mean, yes, we talk softly and we move through and we try to, you know, create a certain sense of calm and peace and serenity and tranquility and all of those things so that we can meet hard moments, not avoid them. But you know, one of the things Teresa and I talk a lot about is, you know, what is spirituality and why does it matter? And, you know, how one of the things that I tend to think of, like the institutions that we tend to think of as houses of spirit, you know, have elements of that. But that spirituality is not something that requires any outside influence. It comes from within. You know, we we choose our guides to help us explore our inner landscapes, but no one can give you spirit. No one can give you. We can, you know, offer practices and we can offer an ear and a heart to lean on. But this this is really interesting to me. My dad was a scientist. He was a doctor. He was a doctor of the mind. He was a forensic psychiatrist, but he did all of the blood and guts too. <laughs> uh, and he was a man of faith and science. They never felt contradictory to him. They never felt like one was right, the other was wrong. Because if you have faith, then everything makes sense. Everything that comes into your vision is there because. And I won't fill in after your because. And so I think this is just one of those experiences that after our last conversation, it could feel like, you know, 
there's a lack. There's a lack of something, you know, bigger than us. Uh, my dad used to say to him, God was, and, you know, God is not necessarily spirit either, but this is the way he dis- he was raised Orthodox. But he said God to him was something bigger than himself that was an organizing feature, like Mother Nature. And for a man of science and faith to bring Mother Nature into the conversation, I thought was freaking brilliant. And so I just want to offer that to those who are feeling like they have to choose a side. <laughs> no, <laughs> the only side you have to choose is you. And, you know, here I'm standing on my pulpit. Oh, you only have to choose you. But this is why we practice. Yeah, I like that you brought in that he was talking about something larger and nature because, well, you know, (laughs) me and your dad are speaking the same language. But Sherry gifted me. And you know that she's talked and told us often that, you know, she's happier giving gifts than she is receiving. She's always happy to receive, but she's also great at offering. And she's really in tune with the gifts that she gives. They're always extremely personal. And so she gave me a gift that I want to share because I think it has a a lot to do with this connection to spirituality, something that is larger than self, some organizing outside force, like your dad said. And the book that she gave me is Things That Trees Know. And (laughs) I read this part of it fairly often because the first time I read it, it touched a part of me that felt very, very spiritual. And here it is, and this is, quote, Douglas Wood is the author. Of all the teachers I have known, I've found none greater than trees. Having a rough time, trouble coping with all that life is throwing at you, storms, drought, hardship, loss, needle in little inspiration, some advice, go sit under a tree. An old one, gnarled, with missing limbs, twist, turns, and not holes. Still haven't gotten it? Sit some more. Lay your head against a great root and fall asleep to the lullaby of the wind through the leaves or the needles. Wake up to the sight of a blue sky or clouds or sun or moon through the tracery of branches. If your troubles remain, Try the same thing tomorrow, and as often as you can. You will find generous measure of wisdom and of peace. It worked for Buddha, after all, (laughs) and the countless seekers of many cultures and many times. I remember vividly the night I walked a country road feeling very low. There were stars in the sky, but the night seemed black, and life was devoid of hope and promise. Then I caught caught the silhouette of a spreading oak against the stars. And in an instant, I knew something important, something the trees know. When life is hard and you're not sure what to do, reach for the light. Reach from where you are rooted. Survive and endure. Grow through whatever hardship comes your way. Stay rooted and strive. Even if you never grasp your goals, what trees, what tree actually reaches the sun? You will attain something greater, truer than yourself. You will fulfill yourself and somehow add something of value and beauty to the world. And how long should you go on doing this? Only as long as you live. It was so good. And also, you know, it evoked the feeling of Mary Oliver's poetry. You know, I had read something, and I, I just hope I'm remembering this correctly, that she had had a pretty traumatic upbringing and that she wrote all of her poems outside, that everything she wrote was in nature. And you can feel her communing with nature and you can feel the healing part of her relationship to nature. And I think in part, that's one of the reasons her poetry is so relatable and why every yoga teacher on the planet reads Mary Oliver. She is ubiquitous. (laughs) I think I have to find a way to use that in every episode. (laughs) 
It also brought up something in like this idea that we have everything we need, not only within us, but provided in the natural world. If we just, you know, look to nature and nature has its, you know, it's violence too. I'm not, it's not about avoiding that part of it, but recognizing as part of that reflection. And I think we put so much, I'm going (laughs) to, I have ventured now into two no-nos. We never talk about religion or politics. I'm not actually going to talk about politics. I'm just going to use the word politics, that there are so many things that need to be healed in our world, and very little, if any of it, will be solved at the political level. It has to be solved on the interpersonal level. And there is nothing more spiritual in my mind than connecting with other humans and animals and nature and leaving everywhere we go just a little bit better than we found it. You know, even if even if it's not better than we found it, planting a seed that will one day grow into better than we found it. <laughs> yeah, that's the name of the seed. The name of the seed company is better than we found it. So, for example, if you're, you know, talking to someone who's suffering, that that person, you may not leave that experience with that person all healed. You may even feel a little more sadness when you leave that experience. But the potential for healing has been offered. So this leads into the next practice that I'm going to offer, which is called Tonglen, which um, Pema Trojan will call it giving and receiving, which we talked about last week, last episode, giving and receiving, different from giving and taking. (laughs) But it's a beautiful practice and one that is, I think, in many ways, counterintuitive. You know, we tend to, in our culture and in our practices, breathe in goodness, breathe in all that is good so we can fill our our lungs, we can oxygenate our blood with all the goodness of the world. And as we exhale, we exhale all the bitterness, all the toxicity, all of the shit that no longer serves us. It's like we're digesting our our lives through this. You know, we're taking in our nourishment and it's just, we're crapping out all the stuff we don't need. It's not at all. Well, I guess it is, but I don't know. I didn't need to go there. So I am going to do two things with this practice. I am going to read a little bit from Pema Chodron's book, the wisdom of no escape, that if this happens, since we tend to take our practices out into the world, I'm showing it to the camera, Pema Chodron. I'm going to read just a couple of passages that she says about this because she has a whole chapter on it. She calls it, I'm sorry, sending and take, sending and taking, not giving and receiving. Isn't that funny how I interpreted that in my own head? And so now I have to relook at the word taking in a different way, which we can do that with all words, which is why I don't believe that any words are higher vibrational than others. It's our intention. It's our meaning. It's whatever. So chapter 12 in this book, Sending and Taking. She says, Tonglen practice has to do with cultivating fearlessness. When you do this practice for some time, you experience your heart as more open. You begin to realize that fear has to do with wanting to protect your heart. You feel that something is going to harm your heart and therefore you protect it. I'm jumping down. Um, she says, when you do Tonglen, you invite the pain in. Seeing pain, seeing pleasure, seeing everything with gentleness and accuracy without judging it, without pushing it away, becoming more open to it. Tonglen puts it right on the line. She says this a couple of times, which I, I love because I don't think language is is random. She uses that a couple times. Tonglen, she says, takes a lot of courage to do. Interesting enough, interestingly enough, it also gives you a lot of courage. And I'm jumping a couple pages. Then she says, the essence of Tonglen practice is that on the in-breath, you are willing to feel pain. You're willing to acknowledge the suffering of the world. From this day onward, you're going to cultivate your bravery and willingness to feel that part of the human condition. Jumping down. With every in-breath, you explore the discomfort of the human condition, which can be acknowledged and celebrated and not run away from. Tonglen puts it all on the line. There it is again. The essence of the out-breath is the other part of the human condition. With every out-breath, you open. You connect with the feeling of joy, well-being, satisfaction, tender-heartedness, anything that feels fresh and clean, wholesome, and good. Jumping down again, she says, all that you need in order to do Tonglen is to have experienced suffering 
and to have experienced happiness. I love this part. She says, even if you've had only one second of suffering in your life, you can do Tonglen. Even if you've had only one second of happiness, you can do Tonglen. And then I'm skipping around one more time. I'm going to read that I'm going to actually offer the practice. So we also talked about chitta. She talks about bodhicitta, which basically means just opening up. It's awakened mind. The second step is working with abstract quality of pain by visualizing it as black, heavy, and hot. So those are ways that we can take concepts. Because sometimes we think, you know, think about imagine suffering. Oh, my God, what the fuck does that look like? You know, we can imagine, you know, lines of human beings lined up in front of pits waiting to be shot or walking, marching death marches and, you know, all sorts of things we can imagine from history, the images we've seen. But this gives us a sort of a, I don't want to say separate, but a less hot way of imagining this so that we can take it in without, you know, empaths often have difficulty with the pain that they take in. So this is to kind of give something you can work with. So visualizing the abstract quality of pain as black, heavy, and hot and breathing that in. Working with the abstract quality of pleasure by visualizing it as white, light, and cool, and breathing that out. So she says, then you start working with what's called the relative practice, the humanness of everyday life situation, breathing pain in, pleasure out, black in, white out. Then you get to the third stage, which is actually the heart of the practice. Here you visualize a specific life situation and connect with the pain of it. <sighs> oh, yeah, we got to do that. You breathe that in, feeling it completely. It's the opposite of avoidance. And that's spiritual practice. If it is asking you to find some blissed out Zen state to be in for forever, that's not spirituality because we live in a life that requires that we meet difficult times and we're not interested in spiritual bypassing. That is not what this is about. So you breathe it in, you feel it completely. It's the opposite of avoidance. You are completely willing to acknowledge and feel pain, your own pain, the pain of a dear friend, or the pain of a total stranger. This brings us into our mission, which is connecting the individual to the collective and recognizing that we are not separate. And on the out-breath, you let the sense of ventilating and opening, the sense of spaciousness, go out. So this is, there is a formal practice. There's a lot of different ways to practice Tonglen. I am going to offer the way that I was taught. I'm not reading it from the book. I'm, do, re, I'm offering it from the experience of my practice. But I also want to say before I, we go into practice that this can also be done. They call it, I think, man on the street, human on the street, on the spot. If you're walking by, if in, I've been in New York City a lot lately. I lived there for almost two decades. And it feels, I mean, I'm out in the suburbs now, so I don't witness the kind of suffering that one witnesses when in New York City every day. And I was, anytime you walk by someone who's homeless or someone who is hurting, someone who is visibly suffering, you can breathe in their pain and breathe out love and breathe out healing. You can breathe, see, I, this light, white, and cool and the black, hot, and heavy, these are concepts I do, have not worked with very often. This is how she has offered that. It is more see the suffering, breathe in the pain, breathe out the healing. That is on a very sort of basic level. So person on the street, you see them, breathe in their pain. Even if you can't see it, you can, if you're feeling the desire and the need to live your bodhicitta, your bodhisattva, your you know healing energy in the world, we all suffer. I think you can even pass by a total stranger and abstractly breathe in that black, dark, and hot and say, I'm taking in your pain, whatever that pain is, and exhaling the thing you need to, to heal yourself. So let's practice. Let's practice a formal Tonglen practice, giving and receiving. What did she call it? She, she didn't call it that. She called it sending and taking. So let's send and take a little bit. Take your seat. Now, I'm not going to every time revisit the, the physicality of taking your seat, but feel yourself sitting in a seat of integrity. If you're lying down, that's okay, too. If, you've, if you're still in Shavasana, that's cool, too. You know, maybe you didn't come back after Shavasana, but you will in a little bit. 
So allow your mind to settle, whatever that means. It could still be a monkey mind. That's okay. Allow it to be what it is. Allow your spine to be long, your seat to be firm, and your breath natural. Eyes can be open or closed. Maybe close them for this so that you can, if you're visual, if not, let your gaze drop four to six feet in front of you. Okay, so after you've taken your seat, Connect with your breath. And I am going to conflate the Maitri meditation with Tonglen just for this purpose, because if it's new to you, it can be taking really, really hard medicine. So I'm going to diffuse it a little bit by, by sharing these two practices. Maitri means loving kindness. So I'm going to use the structure of a loving kindness meditation, but I'm going to use Tonglen as the practice. If that makes any sense. So from this seat, from your gaze, inner or outer, I want you to bring to mind someone that you love. Can be a group of people that you love, but let's, let's stick with one person. One person that you love and you know something about this person. You know this person is suffering. You know this person either had a physical experience that has pain in the body that is affecting all the other koshas, the other layers of their being, or maybe they're having an emotional experience. Maybe they lost a loved one or a job or a partnership. Whatever it is, let it be someone you love who you know is suffering. And from your stable seat, because it's important that you practice this from a place of stability, breathe in their pain. Breathe in their suffering. Breathe in the black, hot heaviness of what they're going through. And we're not holding the breath. So if I've said that too long, you're breathing out love and kindness and healing energy, joy and spaciousness. You're breathing out the space for this loved one to resolve whatever it is, heal whatever it is, be present with whatever it is they're suffering. And take a few breaths there. Breathing in the suffering, breathing out the ease. Notice how it feels to take on, you know, often we feel so helpless. What can I do for you? How does it feel to take on this loved one's suffering? How does it feel to breathe out love? And imagine how it feels to for that person that you love to receive, to receive this love, this healing, this spaciousness that you are offering them, that is your offering to their pain and suffering. And then slowly begin to bring to mind, let that person sort of dissolve into your lungs, into your breath, and breathe them out. Take a few cleansing breaths. You can breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. <sighs> and then bring to mind someone of a neutral, someone you have no heat with. Someone maybe you see at the grocery store, you see at a yoga class, someone you pass on the street. Maybe it's a complete stranger, someone you can't really imagine, but you can give an outline to the shape of this stranger who is really someone you are, you are connected to, connected with. And imagine what they might be going through. You might not know what it is, and often we don't know the struggles. We don't know what people are really suffering with. So breathe in that black, dark heaviness. It doesn't have to have an intricate picture or any detailed idea of what that is. But breathe in this black, hot darkness and breathe out the light, cool whiteness. The white, cool lightness. And take a few breaths there with this, this stranger or this, per, this neutral person. Now this one's going to be tough. I'm not going to lie. I want you to bring to mind someone with whom you have a challenging relationship. Now, 
If this is your first time doing this, please don't pick the person with whom you have the most challenging relationship, someone who may have really, you know, caused a great deal of harm in your life. Bring up someone who, who's challenging, who you might look at and think, oh, fuck, you know, you're that person again. And see if you can do the same act of service for this person and breathe in their darkness, breathe in their heaviness. And for this person who you're seeing in your mind's eye, breathe out light, coolness, like a white light that is offering space for whatever healing. Because what happens if that person that gives you a charge heals? What does that mean for this relationship? What does that mean for the world? And even if that never happens, it doesn't even matter. This is your practice. Breathe in what has fractured them in any way. Breathe in what you know, what you don't know, and then breathe out that healing, loving kindness. I've got two more to do. Next one is yourself. <laughs> How do we do that? How do we even identify? We talk about this on here. The first step is identification that something requires healing. Sometimes the pain is acute. The suffering is so obvious Anyone who sees you will know that you are going through it. Sometimes we have learned to mask it so well that we have no clue. I, I'm not feeling any pain. I'm not suffering. I, I'm good. Yeah, no need. So if that's the case, if you can't identify a place that is requiring that, that inhale, the black hot darkness, breathe that in. I think that's a great tool, especially when the pain and suffering is less clear and breathe out that white, cool lightness, that space for growth and for healing for yourself. Now we've gone through, I think, four different iterations of this Tonglen through my tree. <laughs> my tree, the tree, no, a little different. But notice if there was a different feeling in your body when you went through each of those, you know, the person you loved, the indifferent stranger on the street, the person with whom you have challenging experience and relationship, yourself. Was there any discernible difference in the way that you were able to do this physically, emotionally, energetically? And finally, we talk a lot in yoga about all beings. May all beings be happy and free. May all beings, you know, be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May all, may all beings. What the fuck is all beings? It's, it's the tick that I don't want anywhere near me. That's a, that's a being, I think. Like anything, you know, that tree is a being. The cultures and populations of places I've never been, they're beings. You know, people who are, bring in that suffering. The suffering of all beings, the black, dark hotness of all beings. We all, in, in Buddhism, there's a, a concept of the universal heart of sadness. We're all gonna die. We all suffer on some level, some fear, something. Breathe it in and breathe out the light, white coolness. Breathe in the black, dark hotness and do a few rounds of that for all beings. And if the concept of all beings is just too large to wrap your mind around, don't worry about it. Don't get stuck there. Just say the words to yourself. That's enough. Doing the practice is enough. Not even doing it fully is enough. Mixing the practices, I think, might be enough. So just take another breath or two. And because this is such a, I think, a potentially intense practice, after the next breath, take a deep breath in through your nose, let it out through your mouth on a sigh. <sighs> and then I want you to move, little movements, come back into your body. Stand up wherever you are and shake it out. Shake it out. I'm going to, you know, if this is, we're, we're, you know, audio, but shake it out. Do, do whatever you need to release this practice. If you've done it before and you're able to regroup, you know, do whatever you need to do and then come back. That was long and, and I hope that you were able to, to stick with it and practice it. And, you know, we often ask about your stories. 
I would love to hear what your experiences are doing these practices, especially today because it's so full. And whether you do a couple, a selection of them or not, you know, what has been your experience with practices, whether you do them consistently or just when you're listening or, you know, do the, whatever it is we want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. Oh, I like that. Inquiring minds want to know. Thank you. You're welcome. So I am going to, when I was doing my yoga therapy training, there was a, a guest speaker and the guest speaker was talking about research that came into research about yoga. And there's not a lot because it's doesn't really fit into the parameters of double blind studies and, you know, what we would think of as a research study. And what I remember, and I'm going to say this is what I remember of that night. I can't go back and find that study. But what I remember from the presentation is that many people come into the world of yoga for something physical going on in their body. They've got pain in their body. They want an exercise. They spoke to their doctor about back pain, and the doctor said, you know, yoga is good for that. So oftentimes, the thing that motivates somebody to find yoga is a very physical reason to come to the practice. But what this study had shown was that physical motivation is what brought them to the practice of yoga. But finding a connection to self and spirituality is what keeps people in yoga. And Yoga is, you know, deeply rooted in the practices uh, in spirituality. So I am also going to offer another practice and a little reading to kind of introduce it. And this comes from an article that I found on the Himalayan Yoga Institute's website, and we'll link that for you, called The Spiritual Side of Yoga. And I'm going to skip through just to the parts that I want to share right now. So, and you, you'll know as soon as I start reading this, why it kind of captured my attention. In yoga, the, nat the nature and environment that surrounds us is essential. Witnessed in the many Sanskrit and English terms for asanas or the postures that are derived from animals and plants and that pertain to their special characteristics or qualities, such as the lotus, for example. Apart from these, some receive their inspiration from the earth, and others have their roots in ancient spirituality. However, each name has a deeper meaning, a deeper hidden meaning. So what I want to do for my practice is talk about the lotus pose. Since we come to yoga perhaps for the physical postures that we practice on the mat. Let's look at some of the experiences. As a yoga teacher, I have been trained to not feed an experience, but open the space for people to have their own experience. So this might be a little bit different because I am going to take from this article some suggestions for the lotus pose. So lotus pose might, and its Sanskrit name is Padmasana. And if lotus is not part of your practice, you can take an easy pose or a seat that is closely related to the lotus pose. Maybe you cannot put your feet up on the insides of your knees as lotus pose would look, but maybe a cross-legged pose. And even if that is not something that's accessible or you're not in a place to take that seat, whatever seat you're in, but maybe just embody the energy of what you imagine a lotus pose to look like if you were on your mat. And I'm going to read again. This is a quote. In the ancient traditions of Asia, the lotus flower is often a symbol of purity and spontaneous generation, representing divine birth, spiritual development, and creation itself. A lotus flower is on a journey from its roots embedded in the muddy waters and stemming upward, emerging into the light and blooming into a beautiful flower we know it to be. 
So as you're in your seat, maybe take a moment as you're resting and embodying whatever shape you are using as your lotus pose today and feel into the concepts, divine birth, spiritual development, creation. Feel yourself rooted into that seat. But at the same time, as we lift up from the seat, so you'll often hear Sherry say, we root down to rise up when she gives us our instruction for taking the seat. So we root down, just like the lotus, and sometimes we're rooted down in the mud of our daily lives or whatever's going on. But can we at the same time lift up toward the light and feel ourselves blooming? Symbolically, this represents, quoting again, the perfection of a human being who is in her body or her roots in the world, like the roots of the lotus in the mud of the lake. I go out kayaking often, and there is a full pond of lily pads and lotuses, and I often stop and just sit in the middle of them so I can embody my own roots. But the mind, coming back to quoting, but the mind dwelling in the divine, such as the lotus blooming above the surface of the water. When the lotus pose is perfected, one attains complete detachment, which is symbolized by the petals of the lotus flower. When splashing water onto lotus petals, the droplets will drop off the petals and will never stick to them. Similarly, the yogi will not remain attached to anything in the world, even though the yogi may be drenched in the water of the world. The lotus pose is a regular seated meditation posture yogis assume for meditation and pranayama or breathing practices. So taking a nice, deep, slow, breath. And with the exhale, it purifies the body, the mind, and the spirit. So in the same way that we can take in each other's suffering, transform it, and put it back out into the world, back in breathing peace to those people whose suffering we are willing to share with them, recognizing that we are all part of a collective and that if we can share in each other's suffering as well as their joys, and they can do the same for us, we can share this breath, these practices, and these poses in an effort to purify our body, our mind, and our spirit. That's so beautiful. Mm. You said something early on, and I, f I didn't write that down, but I wrote down what it made me think about. And it and maybe you'll remember after I say this, but it seemed to me that knowing what our why is, is what, oh, it's what keeps us in practice. You said that it's the physical part that brings people into yoga, but the philosophy and the more interesting talking parts, you know, I don't want, not just spirituality, because there's so much more than spirituality in the eight limbs. There are, if you're someone who's spirit, for whom spirituality is a buzzword that, you know, oh, yeah. one might still resonate with many of the offerings of the eight limbs. But so the interesting part about the thing that keeps people there is that it may help clarify their mission or their why in the world, not for business, not for, you know, anything like that. Mm -hmm. But what those existential questions, why am I here? How do I show up to this life? How do I interact? How do I, you know, have a map to, to be the best human I can be? Whatever it is. But yoga in many ways helps to, you know, I, I shouldn't say that helped me certainly with my why, but even if it's not yoga, it could be anything, that knowing why you're doing it will be the reason you stay or leave <laughs> if it's, if, you know, that's the case. Yeah. I mean, it has so much to offer when we dive into 
It can be spirituality or philosophy. It can mm -hmm. be our inroad maybe is a physical practice. The other thing that I learned in my trainings is that people use different tools. Some people use the body to get into the mind. So when they're moving their body, they find this place of Zen when they're in their sun salutations and their body is moving in this flow, you know, that's their end to get into their mind and their thoughts. Other people might resonate more with the practices of mindfulness and meditation, and they use the mind to come into the body. So we all have the different parts of yoga or just life. That season one, go back to the koshas. Season <laughs> one, yes. <laughs> what is it that we that captures our attention? And I think that <clears throat> for me was the attraction to yoga. Is that those eight limbs that we, you've we've referred to the koshas that we've referred to in the past, the chakras which we've touched on a little bit, but we haven't really dove into them yet. There are so many different inroads, uh, all different trails, because I like trails, they're different trails to travel on in our journey of deepening our own self-awareness, of getting to know self in an effort to accomplish exactly that. Why am I here? How do I want to show up in this world? And who is the Teresa who steps outside of her home Mm -hmm. And out into the world, what do I, what do I have to offer to my neighborhood, my neighbors, my family, my friends, but ultimately, how do I use those practices to find that part of myself? So I show up as my best self and trust me, I don't always show up as my oh, best self. Sometimes I, I show up as my worst self. Oh. <laughs> And but that but we have the tools. Yes, and yes, me too, man. But this leads perfectly into my final practice that I have for this this offering and about showing up as your best self. This was a practice that was offered when I was studying at the Shambhala Center circa 2000, 2001 in New York City. The Shambhala Center, I don't think, is around anymore. I find myself saying, if I'm remembering correctly, you know, I'm a woman of a certain <laughs> age and I don't write everything down. And so, you know, I, I really just, I hope that I am honoring the sources that uh, of these practices. My intention is certainly to do so. So I hope that that's the more important thing. Yeah. And um, as listeners, remember, we're in a casual conversation, recalling many of our teachings. So we, we do try and stay as close to the source as we can, but it is casual. Right. But I'm about to offer a practice that is part of a lineage. So I, I want to honor that. This is called Wind Horse. And Windhorse, if I remember properly, now I have used it before job interviews. I have used it in moments where I've had, before I've had to have difficult conversations. I have used it before teaching first classes, before doing something for the first time. And after that, while I'm driving, I'm chanting the Ganesh mantras, get rid of all those obstacles. So, but this, this is about generating our inner winds. And in yoga, we call them values. And I'm not exactly sure if there's a correlation there, except that they're winds. And we're talking about breath. Uh, but this is a practice that's designed to boost your confidence to remind you that you are a force of nature. You fucking got this, you know, like it's kind of that energy. That's how I, I imagine it like this in my head with fists, you know, yes, you got it. There are one, two, three, four, five, five different sets of syllables and we, we repeat them twice. So I'm going to do the syllables first. I will tell you what they mean. And then I'll just sort of chant them quickly a few times just to kind of get it. Now, I remember when I first learned this, I had the paper in front of me looking at the syllables, trying to remember what they meant. And we did it really slow and very deliberative. And they said, yeah, as you do it, you can move, you know, as it becomes more second nature. It has a whole different feeling to it, but it, and it does. Anyway, the first syllables, I should say, are kiki. Kiki. And the second set are so so. So we've got kiki, so so. The third is we only say one, and then those are the only two syllables, and then we get into the words. Third is ashe. The fourth is hla. And the fifth is yalo. So it's kiki, so so, ashe, hla, yalo. I will put them in the show notes and I will put them into the newsletter. If you're not on our newsletter, why not? Like, go to our website, join our newsletter. So, kiki, so, so, ashe, hla. And I think it's spelled L-H-A. It's like la, but 
like a little in the back of the throat. Chla, gyalo, chla, gyalo. If I remember correctly, that's my new mantra. So kiki is what we do in the beginning of anything. We take our seat. We feel the ground. And I always, when I'm not looking at my paper, so when I do it, I have to repeat them so I remember them. So kiki, take your seat. Feel the ground beneath you. So, so is imagining the horizon line and seeing the earth and sky, recognizing the duality of life. So kiki, take your seat. So, so recognizing this duality of heaven and earth and that horizon line that divides it. Kiki, so, so ashe is the collapsing of the sky and the earth, that collapsing of duality, the crashing together of those two pieces. So kiki, so, so ashe. We take our seat, we recognize duality, and then we collapse that duality. Kikiso so ashe kla is a recognition of this universal heart of sadness. It is, it's almost a downcast experience that we all share. It is the connection, I think, of the individual to the collective. It is re- all of it is, but recognizing that we all share a, a, a sadness and fear rooted in this, this death thing. I'm just going to extrapolate there. And then Gyalo, thank goodness for Gyalo. Gyalo, we lift our gaze, we open our eyes to the world, and we radiate goodness and love. We just radiate the best of ourselves out. So we take our seat, we recognize duality, we crash that duality, we touch into the universal heart of sadness, and then we radiate our goodness out there. So if we are sitting in a stable seat, kiki. So it's the instructions are actually in the words that we're saying. So, and I will again put them in the show notes and put them into the newsletter. Kiki, so so, ashe, kla, yalo. You know, I'm I'm exaggerating here visibly. You know, if you're looking at it, you look at it later. So I'm gonna you just to sort of kiki, so so, ashe, kla. Yalo, kiki, so so, ashe, kla, yalo. One more time, kiki, take your seat, kiki, so so, recognize the horizon line that separates heaven and earth. Ashe, dissolve that line, find the oneness in the infinite. Kla. Touch into that universal sadness we all are connected by. Gyalo. Radiate your goodness. Radiate your love all over this freaking world. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please click the like and follow buttons and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. These ratings help our grassroots podcast to become more visible to more people so we can include more stories. Written reviews are like stars on steroids. If you are so moved, please write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We are just getting started. So if there's something you'd like us to cover, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. We'd like to thank our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos.